0: Welcome to Story Talking episode 24. My name is Laksh. I started Launchora and I host this podcast called Story Talking where I talk to a new storyteller every week. Now if you're new to Launchora, you'll see that this is our free episode. Uh basically today's February 24th, we'll have this episode for free for the rest of this month and for the month of March. And if you like what we do, if you like this conversation, if you like the whole idea of story talking. It is part of the Launcher Storytellers program, which is a monthly subscription and includes the podcast, includes weekly guides, which are full of tips about storytelling, different kinds of storytelling, how to put stories together, fiction, nonfiction, poetry. We have a quarterly storybook called The Storyteller, where you can get featured, and we also have the audio stories under the listen page. Now, there's a 30 day trial, no commitments, you can cancel any time. So, if you like any of this, uh, I would uh, appreciate it if you decided to subscribe. Now, if you are a regular listener, you know that I am currently struggling my way through publishing, writing, and then publishing my next story, which I said I would by the end of the month. And as you can see, as of right now, February 24th, I have yet to publish it. Now, if I was recording this introduction yesterday, I would tell you that I have no idea what's going to happen with my story, but luckily, uh, as of this morning, I have most of the story uh, written, and which is really shocking to me because... Uh, what happened was that last night I decided to just write it. I got a little frustrated with how little I had gotten done and 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 if you're if you've ever written uh anything before, I'm sure you can relate there's this you know that you do most of your work by thinking about the story way before you put words down, but when you think for too long. <laughs> There isn't really a lot of proof to show that you did all this thinking, uh, except a few notes here and there. So last night, I just got a little frustrated that, oh, I've been thinking about the story for a month, uh, and I don't have anything to show for it. So I just started writing. uh, And I thought my plan was, when I started writing, to write for an hour and to just get the introduction of the story done and that just the beginning, just the setup. And and then I thought, if okay, once I get a little tired of doing the setup, I'll write a couple of dialogues and uh, that'll be it. And that turned into uh, about three, about four solid hours of writing. Uh, about, I think I got through probably 5,000 words, which is surprising for me. Usually if I write non-stop for four hours, I end up getting through 8,000 or 10,000. But anyway, uh, I think some of you already know, but the story is called You Only Die Once. And last night, I pretty much, yeah, gone through, got through as much of it as I could. I'm really excited to share it uh, and have you guys read it. The reason I'm mentioning that story is because... Once I publish it, which I'm hoping is, is going to be before the 28th, uh, the guide that we post next week will be written by me. And I've actually started writing that guide as well. And the guide will be about the process of writing a story like this. So I'll I'll break down uh, every almost every major decision uh, that I had to go through while writing it. And the guide will be called Making Tough Look Easy, or how to make look how to make tough look easy. And uh yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to be finally have the story be uh be ready to come out and uh I think you guys will enjoy the guide as well. And the guide will also be free for uh the month of March. So that's that. Um let me tell you about our guest this week. Um you guys know that I'm a huge fan of the Richard Linklater movies before the Before trilogy. Um, the person I'm talking to in this episode is also a big fan. If you guys like those movies, if you like the stuff that I write, I would definitely, without any question, recommend that you look up the movie that this guy made called "Good Night, Good Morning." Now, that movie is is. I don't want to spoil it, but basically, it's two people, two strangers, uh, talking on the phone over the course of a night. And the premise is is as simple as it can be, but the conversation in there uh, is is it's you will feel uh, like you're a part of that conversation. This is what movies are. This is where. This is the best thing about movies. This is the best thing about stories. When you become involved and you feel like you're a part of it and you're drawn into the lives of these strangers and these people who you know are making a make-believe story, but you believe it, and, and that's the beauty. The movie is in English. It's available on iTunes and Google Play and YouTube, uh, so you can look it up and watch it today. Uh, the rental is, is really affordable in HD. Uh, he also has another movie, called Ex Past is Present, which was a collaboration with 10 other directors, which is available on Netflix. And we're going to go through all of this. Uh, Consider this to be pretty much like a director's commentary. Uh, The the kind of stuff that, you know, uh, I love, knowing the behind the scenes of how something was made. I learned a lot of things. I watched the movie before we had this conversation and the things that... Uh, so these shared uh, were, were really fascinating to me. So if you like movies, if you like, if you want to know what happens uh, behind the scenes, if you want to know how hard it is to put together a two hour movie and how many years and how much time and and how much of your soul goes into making these things, I think you guys would really love this episode. I also want to mention and thank our sister company Flickside which is flickside.com which writes about movies uh she helped uh the company Flickside is I mentioned sister because the person this is a little this is just between us the person who runs it happens to be my cousin uh that's why I say sister company with quotes uh but yeah you should check out flickside uh to Read about movies, uh, interviews with directors, like Desh, and a bunch of others. Uh, so yeah, do check uh, out flickside.com if you are interested in more conversations like this. And in the future, when we do more conversations with directors and such, flickside will be will be helping us set those up too. So thank you to flickside. All right, enough with the intros. Let's start with the episode already. Here is episode twenty-four of story talking with writer-director Sudesh Kamal. I, I was born in the 70s, late 70s. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think, um, I, I never planned to be a filmmaker, uh, except that, I, but strangely, uh, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, even before I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, right. um I, for some reason, it's, it's, I, I don't understand it at all because there's, um, um, I want, I remember wanting to make a movie, though mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a filmmaker per se. Like I wasn't doing anything to be a filmmaker and I was really too young. Maybe I was 10 or 12 years old. Right. Uh, I was visiting Kochi and mm-hmm. we were passing through this island called, uh, Wellington Island, which is like, which, which is probably like, uh, uh, highly secure island because it has a defense base it has the harbor and okay. it's connected by two bridges and I, I was really young maybe 10 or 12 years old and i remember asking questions to my aunt on what happens if you know the bad guys take over the bridge mm-hmm. does that get control over the whole thing right. and that would make a great movie <laughs> um, um and she said you know you should you must make that movie someday And um, so that's my earliest memory of uh, wanting to be a filmmaker, but I don't think I actively did anything to be a filmmaker or thought I was going to be a filmmaker outside of that conversation very early in life. Um, So it's kind of interesting because I I thought like I'm going to be an ad Mm filmmaker. Because um, I thought I might not have the patience to make full-length films, but 30-second films, I can make that. I can make, like, one second, uh, like, a 10-second, tw- 30-second yeah. storytelling. That should be fairly easy. It doesn't yeah. involve, like, a lot of writing or a lot of planning, and it's fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in college, I was also uh, doing um, a part-time um, gig with a neighborhood newspaper called Metro Metro Ads. Okay. Before that, I was yeah. with Times for a couple of months, which was we had this concept of neighborhood newspapers in uh, Chennai back then. All right. So 96, 95, 96. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was in college back then, first year college in 95, uh, 94, 95. And um, I was working with Ananaga Times. And uh, that's when the competition for Ananaga Times cropped up called Metro Ads. And I just, when the first issue came out, I figured that they didn't have a single person Uh, Who spoke English to run that paper. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I remember the first issue had a story of um, it, it, which began with uh, a line that said that went like it was 930 a.m. in the morning. Mm Two bulldozer landed, and <laughs> I was like, "Okay, 9:30
0: yeah.
1: a.m. in the morning, two bulldozer landed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, these guys definitely need some help." <laughs> so I was in the second year of college. I went, I walked in, and I met the editor, and mm-hmm. I said, "Looks like you guys could do with some help." And I've got some experience, not much, but I'm pretty sure that's more than enough for uh, a neighborhood newspaper because you guys are starting out and I'm starting out. Right and so i ran that paper for 100 weeks um like i hired people i i started doing reviews back then so one of my earliest reviews was as early as
0: 95 dilwale Dulhaniya was one of my first reviews wow yeah so it's been did did you know it back then that when it came out that it was going to be such a huge movie like when you were reviewing no, it? It's interesting, I was reading my review and um,
1: I had no idea. The, the review, I, I did like the movie, but I uh, had no idea it was going to be big. And also I wasn't qualified to review films, you know. Sure. Uh, I was too young. I was uh, in my first year of college. Yeah. and Or second year of college, I think. And yeah, second year of college. And I didn't, um, um, I hadn't watched, like I would watched movies. My other connection with movies was that uh, my uh, my house was rented out by a cable TV provider.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh right. So you
1: know, the early days before pre-satellite.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Those guys controlled every movie every night yeah, on TV. They, yeah, they
1: would basically play VHS tapes. Yeah. And then v, v, VCDs, mm-hmm. video compact discs, before DVDs came up. Right. Um, and these movies would be broadcast. I think illegally because there was no copyright. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, to the 20,000, 30,000 homes from this place, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the genesis of cable TV in the country. Yeah. And uh, so I I was familiar with how cable TV worked and how you know so I would probably watch like easily a couple of movies a day back then mm-hmm. because there was nothing else to do. There was no great uh, uh, content on television. Yeah giant robot that I used to watch. Uh-huh. Um, that's the earliest children's show. that I It was a Japanese uh, dubbed, uh, it was an English dubbed Japanese show. Uh-huh. Robot, Johnny Soko and his flying robot. Right. That's it's one of the earliest influences in my life. Um, and then I watched so many movies because my house was a cable TV uh, headquarters right. of the region. And um, then when I w- went off to study after 100 weeks in journalism with Metro Ads, I um, I-, I was in Manipal to do my MS in communication because I thought I'm going to I have to like train to be an ad filmmaker, so mm-hmm. I need to get, like you know understand communications right. a lot. Better. And uh, in Manipal they don't have movie theaters, they have something called video parlors. So what mm-hmm. happens in these video parlors is that um, if you pay 15 rupees, you get to watch a movie, and they will not. The, they were not the latest releases, they were DVDs, basically they were DVD libraries which had converted to video parlours and so they would play, they would play Top Gun or they would play, okay. they play yeah. National Killers or they'd play like U-Turn. Or, so I got to catch up with a whole bunch of uh, um, Hollywood DVDs mm-hmm. uh, in those two years I studied in Manipal because 15 rupees, like that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, um, so if you don't have anything to do, you just go into a movie parlor and watch movies. Mm-hmm. So I was averaging two or three movies a day um, when in the two years I spent in Manipal. So even then, I had no plans to be a filmmaker. I did right. my MS communication thinking I'm going to do ads. And then after I finished um, my course, towards the end of my course, I um, got an internship with FCB Ulka, Um And I was so excited about finally getting to live my advertising dream. Uh, Those six weeks in Bombay, which was also one of the first times I was here for such a long period, uh, came as a huge reality check of what advertising was really like, because I wasn't in the creative department. I was in media planning, so I didn't get to do copywriting. Mm. You know, I was straight away thrown into the heart of advertising, which is media planning. Right. So where you, it's it's a bunch of number crunching, you're working with Excel sheets that run into hundreds of pages, you're cracking figures all the time, and in those six weeks, to keep me busy, they kept giving me projects. Um, I didn't know until much later that they just give all interns one project that's going to keep them busy for all six weeks. (laughs) I didn't know that they had expected me to complete, uh, they they had no no expectations from me that I would Mm -hmm. complete it. So, because there were were no timelines given to me, I assumed that they would get it needed done in a week. So I would finish a project in a week and go back to them. Mm -hmm. They'd give me a second project to keep me busy. I'd finish that, then the third project, and the fourth project. So I finished four projects for them in six weeks, and they said, dude, you should just come and work with us. (laughs) Nobody's gone beyond the first project, because the first project they'd given me was comparative analysis of ABC figures, You know, ABC is the Audit Bureau of Circulation. That keeps record of all the publications. I think 675 at at that point in time. I remember. remember uh, So they're giving me two sets of ABC figures and they wanted me to do trend spotting.
0: Mm -hmm. Find
1: out which magazines, newspapers had um, dropped and which had gone up. And they wanted me to give them a comprehensive report Mm -hmm. then and now on which newspapers were performing well and which were not, where the readership's fallen, where the readership's gone down. Um, what's the percentage of increase per state and stuff like that in terms of leadership? Um, so that was just the first one, and I finished that within a week. Uh, and so they got, they introduced me to the tools that they use for media planning and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, though I was learning, I also realized that this is not what I wanted to do, and I also realized that there was so little creative guys get to do in advertising because most of it is done cracked right at the media planning stage because right. they can't figure out. Who is the target audience? They mm-hmm. know who's the TG. They come up with demographic study of uh, their target. Um, and they actually, um, not just demographics, they go into the psychographics of it, and they define it. They bring it down into a persona, like Lalitaji for, you know, selling detergent. Or, right. Um, and, and then they come up with the storyline. So by the time it goes to creative, they've already cracked the main character. Right. Based on the understanding of who they want to target. Mm-hmm. And, they've made some broad based assumptions on the through numbers and the strategy for the product. And they say that if the product does not have a rational appeal, then we use an emotional appeal to sell it. So right. basically I realized that advertising is just a bunch of lying like, mm-hmm. and lying where you don't have too much creative control either because it's all machine based number crunching. And I just thought like this is like being a glorified pimp sort of a yeah. thing. You know? <laughs> and right. uh, I, I, I just think like I wasn't ready for Bombay and it was just too overwhelming and I, I though I had this offer I, I turned it down I felt like I had to go back to Madras because I had a crush on a girl back then and we had this on and off phone romance for like a couple of years right um, so I thought that uh I should get back to Madras to where my heart really was, instead of being in Bombay, number crunching, Excel figures. Yeah. It was a Sunday and 1 p.m. and I was alone in the uh, ad agency, wondering what the hell am I doing with my life? Why am I going through hundreds of Excel sheets <laughs> when I just want to be a storyteller? Uh, right. And that's also the time I uh, uh, met up with my friends from school uh, because we would have reunions once a year, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Everyone, like all my friends who had gone to the US would come down pretty much around the same time and we would hang out and we'd discuss, we'd catch up with life and we'd figure out how, life, uh, how different uh, the plans we had were and what we'd become right now. Yeah. So like the guy who had a five-year plan for life ultimately had uh, um, decided to use his heart and the guy who was all heart, who would would live a completely impulsive life, was now, uh, had decided that he has to use his head for a change. Right, right. So and somebody who's confused as me who's not known whether to be use my head or a heart uh, or my heart had to figure out um, that I had to do something instead of just being confused all the time. Right. Um, so we thought uh, so. I, when I was speaking about this with my best friend Morgan uh who lives in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, I told him, "Man, there's a there's a story in here which I think every pe- every person in India would be able to connect to because every group of friends has a guy who is uh, impulsive who's mm-hmm. like heart. Um, every group has a planner who's like got his head on his shoulders. Every group has a confused person who does not know if he should be like Mr. Heart or Mr. Head on Shoulders. Mm-hmm. And every, every group has a, a clown of the gang who's like the butt of all jokes, but he's probably wiser than most people because he's uh, at one level escapist, but the other level keeping his problems to himself and figuring out, figuring things out on his own, uh-huh. you know? So, So, I thought these four characters uh, would be extremely relatable. Mm -hmm. There's a movie in there. And in August of 1999, Murugan and me started uh, writing this film. He went back to Pittsburgh, but we exchanged about 400 emails and we wrote the script over email. Um, So, during this uh, period, um, because I I had very little um, practical experience screenwriting, Mm -hmm. uh, I was taught documentary filmmaking and filmmaking during my course. Um, I hadn't actually written long features, feature-length scripts, so I started sure. studying scripts. Um, one of the scripts um, I, I so I, I remember the earliest scripts I studied was I thought that it's best to study scripts of films that I really love and admire. Sure. Yeah. So I started off with Jerry Maguire. Mm-hmm. That was the first scripts that I studied, like I just broke it down. I would just read the script over and over again to see right. how it was done and. Um, I, I, and that's when, when I was uh, like studying more about the script and just trying to understand structure or choice of words or breaking down the script into scenes. And I, I figured Cameron Crowe also yeah. um, had written down the the epiphany uh, that Jerry Maguire has. Mm-hmm. Things we, we think but do not say. So Jerry Maguire is based on the epiphany Jerry Maguire has in the middle of the night, right? Yeah, yeah. He sits down and writes a memo, which is about 25 pages long.
0: Yeah, his so, manifesto. Yes, so yeah. actually wrote 25 pages of that. Okay. To understand what. Jen- so he went all in on Jerry's, you know, mindset. Yes. Yeah. So
1: those I found those 20 pages, 25 pages online, and I realized that that's how deep you need to go when you're writing a script. Right. You need to know exactly what the character is thinking, mm-hmm. and to that level of depth. So that's why I think Cameron Crowe has been the single biggest influence. In my life, as far as screenwriting goes, because it really taught me how deep we had to go to create the bring the characters to life. Right. Uh, um, and uh, but growing up, I also liked um, uh, uh, like like pretty much everyone else. I grew up on Shah Rukh Khan mm-hmm. uh, the cinema. So Kabhi Kabina Kabhi was the film very close to my heart. Uh, I remember going and uh, enrolling for drums lessons. <laughs> Kabhi Na, yeah. just to be a part of a band. Sure. Um, because all the other positions were taken with the, the school group band did not have a percussionist or dr- drummer. So I went for drums class thinking I could, I could do that. But I did. <laughs> I sucked at it. I didn't, I wasn't part of the band. I remember uh, growing up on Jojita Vahisikandar and how it just made cycling into this really cool yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, every kid on a cycle suddenly was riding a cycle to school like a hero. Yeah. Like, you know it just made cycling so cool <laughs> so um i i think uh, these were the, i think the films that really stayed with me especially Farrakhan's sense of uh, choreography and storytelling yeah. like anrasha um in Joji bai or like uh, farhan's uh, choreography in um, kundan chaas Kabhi mm-hmm. like sachin khan he the thing so the the musical form really appealed to me right from back then except right. that um the, And also, that's at one end, but the other uh, uh, interesting things were happening for independent cinema because Nagesh Kukunur had made a film called Hyderabad Blues uh, back then. And um, suddenly, uh, there were takers for Indian English cinema, Mm -hmm. right? And Kaizat Gustav made Bombay Boys. And back then, I thought, I'm going to make like, because this is all within a span of like three or four years as I was growing up. So I was maybe it's perfect time to have a maiden madras, like a Bombay Boys or a Hyderabad Blues. Yeah. Have some uh, Made in Madras. So I thought we'd call this film Made in Madras. This, okay. this film called The Four Boys. Yeah. Um, except that the year after that, Dil Chatha Hai came out. And mm. we figured that, you know, somebody had already done something freakishly similar. Because right. the first draft of the script had only three, not four characters. Yeah. So after we watched Dil Hai, we wrote in a fourth character just to like, so that it doesn't look anything similar. And like, because for people, otherwise, it's just three characters, three characters.
0: Sure. So... Um, and in India, there's that thing too. Like, if you've seen one kind of movie once, people just assume yeah. that they don't want to watch the same assume, movie again. Yeah, yeah. That
1: yeah. So we had to make a conscious effort to make it look different. So I had all these influences and independent filmmakers on one side, and like commercial filmmakers on one side. So so like the cinema of Shahrukh Khan and Farah Khan, um, yeah. on one side was one influence. Then the cinema of Cameron Crowe was another influence. Then the local in, 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 the independent scene of like. Uh, Nagesh Kukunur and Kaisat Gustad was oh, an no. early influence. So uh, I figured that, you know, it gave me the faith that I can make it in English and make it work, right. uh, especially Nagesh Kukunoor's inspiring story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I, uh, I met Sashi Chimala, the guy who had started uh, Quickies Coffee, which was India's first coffee chain before um, Baristas and Coffee yeah. Days came about. Uh, it started in Chennai. And um, he, so he basically wanted to replicate Starbucks for India.
0: Right, right. Okay.
1: So the logo was kind of like inspired by Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So he said, man, um, uh, why don't you just set this whole movie in a coffee shop? Like, you know, Friends. And um, it's as strange as it sounds, I hadn't watched a single episode of Friends until then. And right. And I wish I had because I would have known what he wanted. And this um, is I mean, early
0: 2000s when we were talking yeah, about I this I hadn't time.
1: watched. I hadn't watched a single episode wow. of Friends. Right. <laughs> and he he in his head thought that this was going to be like friends right and like had I watched friends I would have known that my film is not like friends, you know? right uh, but anyway uh we we took a really long time to finish that film because he ran into some personal emergencies uh which I can't talk about uh-huh. and uh, so we couldn't bother him about it because obviously he had like serious issues to deal with himself right. uh, um, so we had to shelve the film and we had just two more scenes to finish um, so uh, it took me seven years to finish the film finally like it was just a series of unfortunate events starting from me getting chicken pox two weeks before the first time we planned to shoot the film to Dil right. Chathaya um, uh, coming out one year later yeah. to um, uh, again to pushing the date by one more year so in 2002 we shot in Manipal um, and, uh, we finished almost 90, 95% of the film when the producer had an emergency and then again, but we had to shut the film for three years, 2005, finally, I decided that I had to, no matter what, um, shoot the film with available resources. Right. And, uh, so we, we took favors. We identified locations where we can shoot, um, got sponsorships, camera sponsored and everything. And mini D V was coming up in a big way, so we didn't have to spend. Uh, too much money, as it was in 2002, because in 2002 we still had to hire digibeta cameras, and digibeta tapes were expensive. The processing mm-hmm. and the editing of digibeta uh, footage was expensive. So, with the advent of mini DV in 2005, a lot of things were uh, made relatively simple and easier for independent films. So, that followed award when I made it was India's first film to be not only shot on mini dv but also to be released in the digital format without a single print made on film wow and this happened because uh, kamal Hassan paved the way with his film called uh, mumbai express um, which he had shot on mini dv um panasonic mini dv 108 cameras yeah but uh, because of because of the volume of prints that he had to reach, and there were not enough theaters with digital projection, he had to make film film prints. Mm-hmm. He had to make celluloid prints. Yeah. So, because of market constraints, he still had to print it to film before he released it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was that he told the censors that man it's 2005 and you still can't use an obsolete cinematograph act to say that we have to print it to film because i shot the film on video and um why don't you just give me a video certificate for it and we'll we'll show it so he so the in, the first certificate to be given for a digital film mm-hmm. was a video certificate not a film certificate so it it was a census certificate which said we on it Right. So it was basically censorship for video,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: Amal Hassan's argument was that we are projecting it on video format. We are not projecting it on cinema anymore. Right. So because he did that, I was able to do that too, and I was able to do that without printing it to film at all. So mine was I. I just happened to be there at the right time. I think. Right. So that was 2006, and 2006 when um, um my film released. Uh, we played for three weeks in Chennai, and in Feb feb 23rd or so and then uh we released in bombay and fun cinemas in september uh, because we wanted it to be like a s- staggered release mm-hmm. uh, and we got a screen in bombay only as late as september um but you know what i'd had a premiere the previous day so i'd invited all my friends yeah from five people on thursday so on friday there was no one to watch the film they had to pull out the show because there's no advertising nobody even knew this film came. <laughs> was playing out there, they no. had to cancel the show on day one. I was so depressed, I went to watch the other film that would released that day. Oh, it no. was Tony Star and it turned out to be the best film I'd seen that year. Yeah. <laughs> there were 10 people in the theater,
0: Yeah. and I'm
1: thinking that I have no right to complain. I just watched the best film of the year, and only 10 people have come to watch it. Yeah. And the film's not even that good. And, you know, I shouldn't be complaining that it got cancelled. That was the reality <laughs> check for me on... Um, where we lived right this is a country where only like the khan sell. sure so it was a huge wake-up call
0: yeah so the i mean that process of having this first movie get made i mean every, everything actually being completed after six seven years of work yeah. put into it like how did you come out of it in terms of your your creative balance like did you feel good about the whole process like or was there this part where you were like, well, "I don't know"? It was know.
1: Um, a hugely compromised uh, 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 film, I think, because um, the first draft was uh, because we didn't have the experience. We don't know where to stop. We just kept mm-hmm. writing and writing and writing. We we wrote 136 pages, um, and which translated to a 135-minute-long film. Yeah, without songs, that's really long. Sure. And because I didn't have too much of experience directing, yeah, um, I didn't know. I, I didn't get my staging right. My staging was a little um, too laid back uh, to work. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know to make it tight. And there, we didn't have a good editor on board. Maybe if we had a good editor on board back then, uh, maybe things would have been different. But because we didn't have, I didn't know the possibilities of editing back then. Right. 2002. Um So at that point of time, I thought I should just shelve it and do it from scratch. So. Right. I shared everything that we had shot, 95% of the film that we had shot. I shared it completely. Wow. And in 2005, I started from scratch um, with, an, with a tighter script. So I brought down 136 pages to 90 pages. Mm-hmm. So I knocked off 45 pages in the next three years yeah. to make it simpler to shoot. And, uh, but this time around, the the actor, the lead actor, uh, who was also the executive producer on the film, um decided to decided that he also wanted to tell the camera guy where to put the camera because he brought the camera guy and so i just felt very uneasy about it on day 1 but on day 2 and day 3 it just got worse so on day 3 i told him man i think either i should Call the shots, or you should call the shots, otherwise, it's just gonna be one more film, which we don't like because the hundred, the the edited footage of the first version we didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. we didn't like it at all. it was because there were two scenes missing, but we could still see the rest of the film, sure, and we thought it was like a terrible film, okay, despite it having some decent performances,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: It wasn't a film that held. Like, you know, it it didn't hold at all. Mm -hmm. So I told him, man, it it was a moment of, like, standing up for myself. Like, I felt like I was going through that Jerry Maguire moment where I had to stand (laughs) up and say, no, man, this is not working. This is not what I believe in. Yeah, Like, a character needs to be honest. And I think we're compromising on a daily basis. The character who had to ride a moped. A moped is um, like like a a c- cycle with a motor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That you have cycle. to start by cycling, in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah.
1: those. So a character who had to ride a moped, a middle-class character who had to ride a moped, had was now riding a Yamaha 600 mm-hmm. CC. Because the guy playing it had that bike at home. Like, <laughs> that was like at home. And he wanted to ride it. Yeah. And so when he's riding it, he's not riding it with innocence. He's riding it with... So I felt the character had become something else than what I'd written. So I had to put my foot down and say, no, man, this is not what is working. Yeah. And he felt I was being very ungrateful uh, and maybe he had a point. But um, so, so we had to shelve the film all over again. And I knew that if I had shelved it this time, I would never get it made again. Right. Uh, unless I recast in the next 48
0: hours. Um,
1: and for Recast the
0: whole, the whole movie. Yeah, okay. like with
1: new bunch of actors, and yeah. with new crew, because the executive producer had brought in about 50% of the actors and 50% of the crew and 50% of the resources. Wow. If he was going, he was going to go with everything, you know, to make life difficult for us. Like yeah. he would be the cinematographer, with the cameras, with the food, with uh, uh two of the four guys. And <laughs> so now I had to recast in the next 48 hours or have no movie. And wow. so 48 hours. Yeah we kind of scraped the bottom of the barrel, found the best actors we could, uh, and we finished the film in the next two weeks, um, except that I, I don't think I was able to extract good performances out of my actors, mm-hmm. uh, because they were really raw, and they didn't have enough experience, too, I didn't have the experience to be able to direct them and bring out good performances. Yeah. So, though the script was much tighter this time around, uh-huh. the performances were really bad. They were not even half as good as the first version. Right. So, uh, but this is what we had and after seven years, the least I could do was to finish it and instead yeah. sort of shelving it all over again because I have a problem with people who don't finish things, you know, and sure. I believe in finishing things, like even yeah. if it takes ten years, we need to finish it. Now, the motivation for me to make this movie was to tell this girl uh, who I had a phone romance with when I was in college that I love her, right? Right. Um, and, but three years down the line or four years down the line, uh, she got uh, married. Uh, by the time the film, the film
0: came out, I think she had a kid. So you had lost the the intentional, the first intention and motivation quite yeah, early. But yeah. So, the,
1: so the so, the,
0: um, so the, the, though the initial motivation was to make the film for her. Right. Three
1: years later, it wasn't just my film. It, it was a film that belonged to everybody. Right. You know, it was a film of a, of a group of people who had come together and believed in me, and then I felt like I couldn't let them down, and I had to finish it no matter what. Yeah. And, this 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 whole uh, thing of trying to finish things no matter what uh,
0: yeah.
1: led to, I guess, a thing... Like, I did the best I could, but the best I could was not a good enough film. Sure, um, sure. If I look back at it, it wasn't at all good. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad that we were still able to release it and... Uh, um, so, uh, it got what it deserved, which is like a no show, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh and then I figured that I'm never going to make a movie again if I don't have money because uh, lack of money really hurts a film. It yeah. Really, really hurts a film. But what happened was technology was improving and, um, the camera prices kept coming down and from mini DV came, uh, edge, um, edge uh, D cameras, uh, high definition cameras yeah. were being, uh, sold for I think two thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. The the Sony um, HVR V1U was a camera which was uh, one of the first cameras to um, be under the three uh, thousand right. uh, uh, dollar uh, uh, price tag, you know and um, that was one of the first cameras to break that whole notion that cameras were expensive and you can actually shoot a movie with a like $3,000 camera.
0: Right. So
1: well, a friend of mine, um, in 2007 asked me, um, whether he should do a film school, go to a film school or he should buy a camera. And I told him buy the camera, man, Don't go to <laughs> just buy the camera and loan. Yeah. Um, in 2008, Feb, he calls me and he says, man. Um, I'm like, hey, where have you been? I haven't heard from you in like the last seven, eight months. He's saying, I bought a camera uh, after we last spoke. And the last eight months, I've just been studying the camera. Now I know everything about this camera. I know how it works. I know the best results. I've got all this gear for the camera. I've got all these lenses and like, you know, mm-hmm. and let's go, let's go make a movie. And I'm like, dude, no, we can't make a movie with just like a camera. <laughs> uh, and the resources, and I'm not doing that again. I made I tried something the first time around, um, just trying to shoot at friends' places, and like you know, the car was the primary set in the first film because mm-hmm. young people are spending most of the time out outdoors, and you can't really shoot on the door um, outdoors. So the next best thing to outdoors is to have ca- ca- conversations yeah. in a moving car, and we shot a lot of the film in moving in moving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said I don't want to do that. It looks super tacky, and like you know, I, I'm not too sure. I want to. To make every film of mine look like home video.
0: Right.
1: And uh, I said, unless the script itself is about uh, like, you know, three people in a house or two people on a phone. Three people in a house has been done by Ram Gopal so I'm afraid we can't go there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Two
1: people on the phone, now that's a thought. And the more I thought about it, I instantly, for some reason, thought of it as a split screen film. Yeah. Um, I think I'd uh, recently watched time Code before that, I think. Mm um, which was kind of interesting, but I thought that it was uh, wasted potential.
0: Right. For the format, you mean? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I,
1: think I like what they did with it, but yeah. I, I, think that they experimented a little too hard that it wasn't coming together really well. At least what, that's what I thought back then. Right. Okay. Um, they deliberately made it inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And they could have just used the same structure to make it a lot more accessible. And I thought a phone call where two people don't see each other, mm-hmm. uh, we are able to capture the honesty of that phone call because yeah. you know, phone calls are in movies. Most of the time the actors we know are not even speaking to a real person on the other
0: end of the phone. Yeah. Yeah. They just
1: the phone and saying their lines and hanging up and yeah. it's so forced and so fake.
0: It takes and you out of the moment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, no, we can do better. Like what if we get a two camera set up and we shoot real time with two people talking on the phone and we are able to play God and see every, Reaction, every expression on their faces, right? uh, right. As they're having through this intimate phone call, maybe like they're falling in love Mm -hmm. or a phone call or breaking down over a phone call. Maybe the whole phone call should just be the story of a relationship from beginning to end, right? If you were to do that, capture the journey of a relationship over one night, it'll be great, yeah. Um, So, and you know. I think I foolishly thought that before, because before Sunrise had done it, we'd be able to do it too. Right. But what I probably underestimated at that point before writing was that before Sunrise used the backdrop as a character, like yeah, Vienna,
0: the city. Yeah.
1: You know, before Sunrise was getting its energy from Vienna.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you removed Vienna from it, they, these characters were left with nothing to talk about. You know. Yeah. None, none of it would actually work. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know that uh, this when I started writing because um, uh, I would have never even tried it. If I had just approached it with that mindset, I would have never written the film. But right. because I, I, they did it, so we should be able to do it. I, I was writing it and then I, I thought like, I need a structure for the film. We can't do it as a two act. We can't do it as a three act. How many relation? how many stages does the relationship go through? I looked up online. There was no such research mm-hmm. that is, I, it looks like I need to come up with eight stages of a relationship and break it down into like, you know, um, an eight act structure where I'm just going from one stage to another yeah. in like eight to 10 minutes. So maybe an icebreaker, honeymoon, reality check, breakup, patch up and so yeah. on. So I'll come up with eight steps and so I'll give myself a de- time deadline that in eight minutes I need to f- finish the icebreaker. Mm-hmm. In the next eight, eight to ten minutes I need to finish the honeymoon. In the next eight to ten minutes, otherwise the film is not progressing
0: from yeah, release. Yeah. To- and there's a drill and you age. want the conversation to be you know for the audience to be engaging and you, yes yeah yes. You, you really so, want to move forward with the whole yeah, has yeah. To be, it has to be the, the journey of the whole relationship yeah and uh,
1: so 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 that was the structure i made to write the script for Good, night, Good Morning.
0: yeah and
1: um, so i spent a whole month writing it with uh, uh my dop um who, is, who came over every night to just sit and draw the storyboards as we were writing it. Mm-hmm. And the next day I would uh, take it to my girlfriend, um, my, my ex now, um, and read it out to her, and she'd say, no, that doesn't sound like a girl, let me rewrite that. And she would sit and rewrite everything to make it sound like it's by a real girl. Right. And uh, I had a lot of material for my blogs uh, of like the, the previous fa- five years or so. Um, uh, because ever since uh, the, the girl had got married, uh, yeah went in through my blogs, you know. But back then it was a very different uh, world where we used to blog about our feelings and all that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, so I had a lot of material that I'd blogged over five years that I could actually put into the movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Raja Sen was a uh, film critic. Raja Sen was a very dear friend of mine. Was one of the first people to read the script. Yeah. And uh, he called me and he said, "Bro, you're not going to shoot this in Chennai." <laughs> You're not going to shoot it at home. You're not going to, like, get your friends to act in this movie. I'm like, why? He said, because this is a good script. Right. We need to make this movie, like, you know, with real actors. Yeah. Like Like, he's saying, please don't waste it like a home video film again.
0: You have to do it the right justice, yeah. So
1: I said, but do you think anybody from Bollywood would want to do this? And he, So he spoke to an actor friend of his who, um, who found the concept exciting so she said send me the script we sent her the script um she read it and she said why don't you come over to Bombay and let's talk about it mm-hmm. so I I flew down to Bombay I met her she did a reading for me we thought that she's great for the role and uh so she said uh, again I was worried if we, we were going to be able to afford her and she said no just take care of my people and that's it Then we'll figure out Um, I come on board as an executive producer and then we probably split it three ways. You, me, and the third guy who was like cast opposite me. Right. Um, So for like a 30, 30%, 35%, 30, uh, I don't remember if it was 30 or 35% stake. We divided equally or maybe it was 33, 33, and 34. Mm -hmm. Um, We drew up contracts and we were trying to get CalPen, um, except that uh, the the friend who was supposed to introduce us to CalPen said, I'm not able to reach the friend who's um, uh, who's who's a very dear friend. Yeah, but yeah. I have this other actor called Manu Narayan who's just made his debut through a film called Love Guru with Mike Myers. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe uh, you want to try him out. Uh, so I watched Love Guru and I thought this guy's great. He's he's just perfect. He had a certain amount of vulnerability on his face, and I thought that this could this could work. Yeah. And And my friend from Pittsburgh, my best friend, Morgan, uh, had seen Manu perform in Bombay Dreams, the Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. And he said, this actor is fantastic. Just go for him. You don't even have to audition this guy. He's just fantastic. Yeah. If he can get up on stage and perform for nine months with 24 songs, singing and dancing. and And he's a great singer. So, so we sent the script to Manu and Manu loved it. And he came on board. Except that Manu and this actor, uh, when we were about to shoot in 2008, 2009 in New York, mm-hmm. they had some differences and, uh, the shoot didn't happen. So right. I, I'd spent like 13 lakh rupees from my pocket, like borrowed money, yeah, uh, uh, credit card loans and everything. I was in New York and we had no movie because the two actors didn't get along and they refused to shoot. And, um, so for the money that I'd spent, yeah. which was not mine, borrowed money and everything, I had nothing to, nothing to show. So, uh, I said, man, this can't be happening. Like, why does this happen to me again? (laughs) I was super stressed out. And I said, like, no, I need to get this movie made. Like, all my money's gone into this. So, what's the next best thing I can do? Next best thing I can do is um, take all the shots I can. Let me shoot some aerial shots. Let me hire a helicopter. Take everything I can. Let me go to the middle of, uh, uh, let me go to New Hope. Because the script uh, requires to be, like, it has a shot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the GPS same New Hope. So let
0: me go get those shots. So, so you, know, you went in for the real shots to New Hope for all of that. Yeah, so I went wow. to New
1: Hope, got those shots. I I I got the highway shots between New York and Philadelphia. Yeah. See, um, I think I took a train to Princeton or Trenton, one of the two. I don't remember which one. Yeah. So I, from Princeton, I took a chopper, or Trenton, I took a chopper. Ah, from Princeton, I took a chopper. From Trenton, I took a taxi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and went around uh for about an hour to just get the shots of the landscape
0: you wanted to be fully authentic with the yeah, the whole like, thing
1: yeah like with gps shots yeah. with thing with the aerial shots so once i knew i had all my coverage i'm like okay so now i can go back to india and shoot it whenever i have the money because i don't know when i'm going to finish paying off 13 lakhs dues with 48 percent interest on credit cards and uh, 20 percent interest on uh, on the personal loans yeah Uh, it took me 18 months before i was able to pay off a part of the personal loan that they called me and offered me a top-up the minute they offered me a top-up on the loan i'm like Okay, looks like we can get going again. <laughs> and um, uh, Manu was very apologetic about, um, about the whole thing. You know, He was feeling right. very bad that we couldn't get it shot. So he said, man, you just send me an economy ticket. I'll come to India and we'll finish what we started. Yeah. So the other actor brought, backed out um, uh, because she had a back injury and um, she was basically bedridden mm-hmm. from another shoot. Right. Uh, stunt gone wrong and she couldn't get out of bed. Um, and also she wanted a few changes which we were not keen about like she wanted to introduce a sexual abuse angle from the father which had nothing to do with the film so okay. I wasn't keen on that so it just worked out well that she didn't. She wasn't available and like we could just get someone else for the role Yeah. and um, I was looking for actors who would have a legit accent you know because the film is set in New York and we needed somebody who would not be an Indian faking an accent but somebody sure. who could uh it right. Yeah. Um that's when somebody recommended uh uh Seema Remani and said that check her out. She did this film called Loins of Punjab and um she plays uh she's got a solid accent and she's a good actor.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh except that I did not know Seema, so um I saw Loins of Punjab, I thought she was great, and I shot her a message on Facebook. Um, asking for a number. She refused to give me her number. She said, uh, send me the script to this. If I like it, I will call you. Right. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> I sent her the script and I waited. Uh, four days later, she calls me and uh, at 9 a.m. She says, I was just waiting for it to turn 9 so that I can call you. I finished reading it at uh, 3 and I couldn't sleep. I smoked uh, a couple of cigarettes after like months. Um, yeah. I stayed up just thinking about the film and I just wanted to do it. And I just want to say, let's just do it, man. Yeah. Um, I said okay. Now the money. He's saying screw the money. Let's just do it. No, yeah. I'm like no. It's not as simple as that. I still do want to pay you because I don't want you to do it for free. Mm-hmm. So the terms that we are offering is that we'll give you twenty thousand rupees of living expenses for the two weeks that you're going to stay in Chennai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to rehearse for like a couple of days, uh, and then we're just going to go ahead and shoot the whole thing. Right. She was okay with that. So in two weeks we finished the shooting. In two weeks we made it a whole month. We got a good deal. So. So she said that, can I stay over for, for a month? So we had both those actors stay in service apartments for a month. So we rehearsed for like, I think four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shot Sima Raimani's bits uh, in a hotel room. And then we shot uh, Manu Narayan's bit in a car. We couldn't shoot it with the two camera setup up uh, because of, again, logistical issues. Mm-hmm. But next best thing, what I did was I made sure Manu actually spoke to her on the phone when she was giving her take. Right. So I rehearsal for you. Yeah. It's the for her, and after you're done uh, doing this, then what we'll do is we'll do the exact opposite, uh, where we'll we'll edit her footage and we'll yeah. play it back to you, so you keep reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult if you actually think about it, because you're actually reacting to a finished audio tape of the conversation, you know. Right. So Right. And you still need to make it sound spontaneous. Yeah. So, I think both those actors had two different, very different challenges. Um, so I think if Seema comes across as um, a, a different energy from Manu uh, in the film, it's because their approaches were very different. Seema was actually in that space where Manu was feeding other lines, and Manu was in uh, reacting to her, like a like a televised voice and uh, <laughs> not televised, recorded voice, and he had to actually hit. He had to stop his line before the next line would start. Sure.
0: Like, so, every time you do a new take, you have to, like, rewind the whole thing that yep. he's hearing? Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, but,
1: you know, it worked. It it just made the film look so real. That, yeah. Like, even when you're hearing, when the camera's on Manu, when they're hearing her voice, yeah. it's legit, right? Yeah. Because that would be like.
0: I mean, I thought it was done like they were just, they were somehow actually hearing each other live.
1: Yeah. 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 They could afford that logistically, so we didn't expect it. <laughs> Right. Uh, okay. But yeah. Um so we the second time around I finished it for I think much less, maybe three and a half, four lakh rupees. Mm-hmm. But you know, just the interest um on on the thirteen lakhs plus this amounted yeah. to thirty-five lakh rupees and I still haven't broken even on that firm. Wow. <laughs> it's and it's a crazy job, man. Like it's like and the third time I did X it was an experiment. We didn't have any plans of releasing it. Yeah. We just wanted to do something overnight. We just wanted to do something quick with just like highly independent, highly experimental, where each of us take one day out or two days out and just go and make a a film uh, with a thousand dollar budget. Except that not all the directors um, uh, were um, comfortable with the budget, you know, because independent filmmaking requires a certain skill set that... That is like you know, you either know how to spend money or uh, to save money, or you don't. It's as mm-hmm. simple, as mm-hmm. I think. Um, because you really have to think out of the box, you yeah. can't think, okay, that'll happen through VFX, I don't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah,
0: there's no and, comfort levels really. Yes, yeah. So, um, so different uh, directors had
1: their own, um, they found it very limiting, the, mm-hmm. the and I think that totally threw them off. That kind of uh, really affected their natural style of filmmaking because they were trying to make films. Which they were not comfortable making because they were not comfortable with the budgets, but they were still doing it for the team. Yeah. So it, it was a it was a it was a very spirited effort from them to like do one for the team. And right in the beginning, we knew that the chances of it failing are higher mm-hmm. than the chances of it succeeding because you know there's fusion music, but there's no fusion cinema. Yeah. Uh, there's always like a jazz musician and a Carnatic musician coming together and playing something and making something cool, but there's never an instance of an independent filmmaker and a commercial filmmaker and an underground underground filmmaker and a call filmmaker um, and a a, a Hindi Hindi Indie filmmaker and and a Bengali filmmaker or a Tamil filmmaker all coming together to make a film that um, should come together seamlessly, you know? And um, so... um, there was a lot of learning obviously i i'm not going to defend the film and say that we made a great film or we made a good film or whatever mm-hmm. but um i th- i think we made a film that uh, we are, we we made a film uh, that um, we are proud of for the effort that we put in sure. and for yeah. for our, uh, for our um, um for how we conducted um, um ourselves when the film released and when we when we met the review when we got all those polarizing reviews Mm-hmm. We didn't, um, like, because as as uh, film critics, Raja and me, have always had a, one of the pet peeves we've had is that filmmakers are not open to criticism, and we thought that here's an opportunity to tell them, or to, to show them, like, you know, that it's yeah. no deal, you know, it's yeah. not personal. Criticism is never personal. It's a yeah. comment on the film that you made and not a personal attack on you. Mm-hmm. So we just decided that we're just going to um, read out the worst reviews that we had got, like the most scathing reviews that we had got with a smile.
0: Huh.
1: And on the week of the release, we, we did it on the very week of the release, you know? Yeah. Um, because and I still don't get it. Like a lot of the critics in America seem to love it. Um, a lot of critics in India seem to love it, but the people who hated it, hated it
0: with, a with everything.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> long reviews about how bad it was. And it's not that we are not aware of where all the film failed. We we do we, we do know, like because all of us have at least ninety percent objectivity on the film, right?
0: Yeah.
1: If made by eleven filmmakers, mm-hmm. we still don't we still haven't made ninety percent of the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So we can be objective about that part if not our part.
0: Right. So did you I, have one editor for the whole movie?
1: Yeah, we wow. had uh, so every every filmmaker had their own editor, and then okay. they submitted a final cut, right. and from their final cut, we had to place make the larger film uh, ahead of their individual stories. Yeah, and, uh, cut it for that. Right. So in terms of editing and salvaging the material that we had, we did a lot, but I think the film primarily went wrong with the sound. Uh, and we couldn't uh, do much to fix it mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of the film if we are spanning through 35 years of uh, the journey of a filmmaker and we're using two different actors mm-hmm. and if we can't have the same actor in the, on the sets of third, third, in, in on 11 different sets then
0: um we'll have to dub the yeah film, they'll right? sound different and yeah yeah
1: so if we have to dub the film it's never lived in and you yeah. know like from i told you about good night good morning i'm such uh like i need the sound to come from that space i need it to be legit
0: yeah and
1: so even for me it was going out of my comfort zone and doing something which i didn't yet. i didn't really um like doing which is using working with dub sound i'm sure it's an art maybe i'm not good at it i mm-hmm. i just can't do dub. yeah but sound. it wasn't
0: your thing yeah
1: yeah and so I think that hurt the firm. The the, the way we dubbed it wasn't right. The way um, some of the filmmakers uh, staged it um, um, was affected by their budgetary limitations. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, they're not used to. And, okay, the biggest problem of all, I think, was the way it was perceived and promoted. Because uh, we never wanted to send out the message that we've done something cool. We've And we were not these, the smug bunch of filmmakers trying to say... <laughs> look what we have pulled off right we, from the beginning had maintained that it was an experiment it was a frankenstein monster that we've created but please come and watch it so that you know we at least know and come and watch it and react so that we so at least we know what not to do the next time around yeah. but i think producers had just uh, decided to um, like they thought that you know with the star cast that we have we can actually uh, with the names that we have on board like radhika Humas, swara rajat we can actually sell this movie and make crores out of it. Right, so, right. So they, they actually thought that by Monday, the film would have got like five to 10 crores or something like that. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. They had no basis to. <laughs> these figures. They cut a trailer, yeah. which had nothing to do with the film. It looked like a commercial film, which yeah. it was yeah. It was misleading the audience and made the audience believe that all these characters are going to interact with each other when they were not. So most right. of the film is going to be a girl and a camera. Yeah. Um, it's a hardcore independent film which should have been promoted as a hardcore independent film and not try to cheat the audience and i think that dishonesty just made people hate the film even more but for me personally um excess have been a very enriching film because it taught me a lot about people mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it taught me a lot about the business um and it taught me a lot about um like you know um, uh, ethics and who i want to be right I sh- if i know something i know that i don't want to be manish mundra or drishim films Mm -hmm. because i don't want to be somebody who does not respect artists i know i don't want i I want to be the guy who pays everyone yeah that's something you know because this is a film we made for a thousand dollars um and on the condition that we were supposed to take co-producer credit on it Mm -hmm. and um, so manish said that um Manish through shilla said that you know um Why don't I be the sole producer, and Mm -hmm. uh, in exchange of you know direction fees for all you people? So we said okay, fine, direction fees of five lakh rupees each to compensate for our efforts, and we'll be okay with it. Um, Now this five lakhs we were supposed to get paid after the production cost was recovered. Now the production cost is less than forty lakhs. Okay, out of the first twenty six lakhs handled by one of the guys, the 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 other executive producer. We don't even have accounts for the first twenty six lakhs spent.
0: Mm-hmm. The second
1: 28 lakhs were given to me uh, out of which um, I produced bills for pretty much everything. So the production, the actual of production cost was not more than 40 lakhs on paper. Right. So we have to get paid uh, after the recovery of the first 40 lakhs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, they, three days before the film released, they wanted us to sign a contract that said that if you don't, if we don't recover the 2.15 crores that we've spent on the film, you guys don't get paid. I'm like, what's the fuck? How did that happen? Like, where, how did it go from 40 lakhs to yeah. 2.5 crores? They said, no, we, uh, I forgot to tell you, we ended up spending 1.5 crores on marketing. I'm yeah. like, what? Like, like, what? What are you guys thinking? Like, it's <laughs> releasing 275 screens. I'm like, but who's going to come and watch? It's a fucking independent film. Like, it's a girl and a camera for most of the film. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? They said, the audience doesn't know. Like, you know, like, by the time the audience knows what the film is, we would have made the film. Wow we would have made the money. So that whole dishonesty, you know, it's so, uh, and just to, um, and we never got paid. They took the credit and they fucked us over. They didn't get paid till date. None of the 11 filmmakers of X have got paid. We didn't have the money to sue them. That's the tragedy of it. Okay. We have the copyright. We have every document to prove that the film belongs to us.
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but just told us that we need a couple of lakhs to go and fight this case. And the judge is going to take at least one or two years to before he figures this out. Um, So
0: how are you? I mean, how are you able to I mean, when when something like that happens, like, how are you able to still be be like, I mean, you want to keep doing this, right? You want to keep making movies, you want to keep writing, like, and all this stuff happens like, do you just shelf it away? Like, you know, it happened. And I'm going to do it again. Uh,
1: yeah, so every time I tell myself, I, I'm not going to do it again, I don't know, like I I still feel like I'm not, never, never going to do it again. Um, so with X, I just thought like, okay, let's just move on and let's just do something. And I, by February um, of uh, 2016, yeah. uh, I kind of figured that, you know, no matter whether we get paid or not, uh, X had released three months ago, and I'm like, mm-hmm. whether it really, whether we get paid or not, I need to figure out the next plan. And I'm going to run out of my savings by july um Mm -hmm. i which means that i won't be able to afford rent from july uh because i'm down to the last bit of my money so the only thing i can do is that maybe i should plan to make a movie in the next six months um (laughs) uh, like you know that last one big job that you do and then you're done with everything sure (laughs) so and an assistant of mine a few months ago had taken a train trip from um Chennai to Bombay with his girlfriend because his girlfriend was moving and uh, they had to take their cat along. And the only way you can take a cat along is on a train because you can't fly a cat. Yeah, okay. Uh, so so it's a very romantic gesture on his part to accompany her from Chennai to Bombay uh, during the 24 to 26 hour train journey. Mm-hmm. And I told him, man, that's so romantic. Did she tell you she wants to break up with you? And she's like, dude, what? No, like, why would you say that? I'm like, it usually happens in long distance relationships that you know somewhere the girl is not sure if it's going to work but she never tells the guy and at some point maybe during this train journey maybe it would have thought like maybe I should tell him you know he's coming out of his way yeah. I should maybe just prepare him for it just in case that. Right. He... so but I told him to write that film and he never wrote it he was never in that mood he was so positive and optimistic about it and they're still together you know so I can see why he never wrote it yeah. <laughs> but the People film don't group, really write much when they're still in
0: love in that way. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I guess you just, like, it's a scenario you don't want to think about. Yeah. But um, me, on the other hand, that's all I could think about. And I'm, like, <laughs> I wanted to write this movie, and I said, it'll be great as a musical. And I love Inside Lewin Davis. I love Begin Again. And I'm like, I've always wanted to make a movie like Once or Begin Again yeah. Inside Lewin Davis. And I'm like, here's an opportunity two characters of musicians. They take a train journey with their cat. In the course of the journey, they have to figure that they maybe they're headed in two different directions and see how they cope with it. Yeah. Um, are they going to be together? Are they not going to be together? But this is a great conversation to have um, in the course of a musical. So I thought, okay, four songs in the first half, four songs in the second half, side A, side B, we'll be done. Like We just need to shoot the film in eight long scenes, eight long scenes of 10 minutes each, and we'll be done with the film. Okay. So, we can get uh, actors who can actually play the instruments and actually sing. Um, and uh, so, this was born out of the music. Um, my music director came up with tunes. They grew on me. After the tunes grew on me, we wrote the lyrics for it. After the lyrics were done, we got actors to come and perform their songs. After the actors knew to perform those songs or were learning to perform
0: those songs, I wrote the script. <laughs> and so, the uh, so songs came. Asked. Yeah, the songs came before the script then.
1: Music came first, lyrics M- came next, right.
0: and script came. And so also it, in English? Like that in this movie?
1: Yeah, it's uh, in English and a little bit of Hindi. The music we decided, because, you know, uh, even if the film is in English, for promotions we need Hindi. Yeah. So, very early on I decided some of, that some of the music needed to be in Hindi. Okay. Uh, because music could be in Hindi, that's that's not a problem.
0: Yeah.
1: So, we, we went for a mix of Hindi and English uh, songs to make it more organic. In fact, we put in an Assamese songs because it seemed organic to the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we shot it. We stuck to plan. We shot it in July, in like in the course of a forty-four hour train journey. Yeah. Um, and um, I, because there are three films that I saw uh, the uh, in 2015, uh, 2016 that, that inspired me. Um, one was uh, Tangerine, which was shot with an iPhone. Yeah. Taxi, where Jafar Panahi shot with just in a car, uh, in a in a country where he was banned from making films. Yeah. And Victoria, which is a long take film. I've also. seen.
0: I've seen that one, the German one where, yeah, yeah. 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 Crazy movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So these three films had told me that, you know, nothing can stop you from making a movie if you want to make a film. Yeah. And I said, okay, side A, side B is going to be my, um, my film, which is going to be that no matter what, we will make a film kind of a film, you know? Right. (laughs) So, uh, that's what I figured I can, I can't afford to take more than eight people on a train because we couldn't book more than eight seats on that train. So, (laughs) because it's an air-conditioned coach, there's not, there are only 14 seats on it.
0: Right, okay. You
1: can't book more than five seats at a time anyway. And Mm -hmm. uh, the bookings open three months in advance and they get over within 80 days, uh, like within the first 10 days, all the seats are sold out
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in Indian railways, okay. So, I had to book the first five. The day the reservation opened, I booked five tickets. And then I booked another three tickets. I made yeah. sure that I had eight seats on on uh, whatever seats were available. I booked.
0: Okay. Which is only eight. Yeah.
1: So once I had the seats, then everything was locked. Then I had to like stick to the plan. Yeah. We, st- we stuck to the plan and we finished the film. The film premiered in New York uh, last May. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, uh, Lovranjan uh, came for the preview that we had, industry screening that we had, mm-hmm. and he really liked it, so he wanted to partner up. Um, so we are trying to figure out a way to get it out um, uh,
0: after his film releases. This new one, the T2 sweetie one, I think, right? That's the one he's yep. making now?
1: Yes, and everyone calls it that, the T2 sweetie one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I've just seen a trailer, so and it's it's a long it's a long title. (laughs) Yes, it's a
1: long title, but yeah, T2 Sony is what uh, sweetie is what everyone calls it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so what's the what's the what's after side A side B? Are you planning something already? Or it really depends on how well, the release like, for this goes.
1: Uh, like I said, I always say that I'm done with independent cinema. It's a thankless job. Like, you know, nobody <laughs> watches these films anymore.
0: You, you won't
1: believe. Like, when I'm submitting it to festivals, right? We're spending yeah. money. And independent filmmakers don't yeah. have money. Yeah. And we're spending money. We're spending money. We're spending money um, in applying to Tribeca and all these big festivals. And um, now these festivals should know that we have access to Vimeo stats. We mm-hmm. know if they've not watched the film. Yeah. And you, believe it most of these guys don't even watch the films Rebecca right. can't watch my film right. uh, like they're taking my money and not watch my film how uncool is that <laughs> i sent a screenshot by email saying that guys <laughs>
0: i know <laughs>
1: it's a little desperate but I, I, it's a lot of money for me i yeah. appreciated a refund but balls they're going to give me like, yeah. you know they um, but yeah that's that's what it is i think uh, uh, there is a certain formula that's um, that's crept into independent filmmaking now. Film festivals are looking for films with a certain kind of formula now.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: and I'm finding commercial films a lot more honest uh, and less pretentious than the independent films that are coming out. And there's so much clutter. Yeah, there are like 300, 400 independent films made, being made out of the country, and um, so obviously all these filmmakers are thinking, okay, so if I have to go to Cannes. I need to do a little bit of exotic India. I need a little bit of social issue. I need yeah. a little bit of, like, you know, uh, sad music. I need a little bit of political commentary. I need a little like, you know, yeah. all these, oh, and, you know, a uh, sprinkling of uh, names like, like, say, a Konkana might help. Uh, yeah. you know. So it's, it's coming with its own trappings. And um, on the other hand, I've noticed that commercial cinema is actually getting more and more increasingly artistic yeah. than before. There's a lot more awareness among commercial filmmakers and I think um, uh, I was pretty snobbish in the beginning, uh, or uh, not just the beginning, In the last 18 years of my career as a filmmaker to think that uh, if people get my film it's fine otherwise fuck off, you know. It's very arrogant of me to have even thought that way because um, I never thought that maybe it's my limitation that I'm not able to communicate to a larger group of people and happy and I'm just being content by taking my films to just a bunch of people who watch. These films, mm-hmm. uh, like Good Morning, wasn't intended to be a black and white uh, independent film. It it just happened because we had to salvage the footage that we had shot separately and stitch it together in Chennai. Yeah. The only way I could make that realistic was if we had to use reverse projection, and reverse projection doesn't look good in color. So and hence it had to be made in black and white. And if we're doing black and white, then I had to go all the way and get jazz music for it, and yeah. uh, and and turn the lines into more soppy and sentimental to be a throwback to that pe- period, you know. Yeah. So. I had to redo the whole draft for a certain sensibility. So mm-hmm. I'm not uh, an, an RT filmmaker. I don't consider myself an arty independent filmmaker. I consider myself a storyteller. Yeah. Uh, so as a storyteller, you either have skills to tell a story or you don't have skills to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the last one year, and especially living out of suitcase after Side A, Side B, just going, I think I did some 13, 14 Indian states in as many months, and I realized that um maybe I was doing it wrong. Maybe I had to find a way to tell my story. Yeah. No matter how inaccessible. Look at Nolan. Nolan Nolan's has, has told stories like Interstellar and Inception to the world. The yeah. told the story of the Matrix to the world. You know, so there's there's I think these these rules of like trying to be a David Lynch. Um, kind of um, uh, inaccessible filmmaker. I think mm-hmm. that is a thing of the past. I think the modern filmmakers should understand that we're not in the 70s anymore. It's yeah. possible. It's possible to make films which are as inaccessible or with themes as inaccessible as David Lynch uh, films, and use um, or, or David Lynch or Kubrick. And I'm I'm pretty sure that if a Kubrick lived today, he would be trying to compete with Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> right he's not going to say i don't care Probably. he's going to see how can i make films better than nolan you know so so i think there's been a paradigm shift in how the world approaches storytelling mm-hmm. and i don't think we're there yet i think we're still um conforming to the old old fashioned notions of art cinema and commercial cinema and art cinema does this and commercial cinema does this mm-hmm. and i think those walls are broken and we haven't realized that those walls are broken when i see um, two films made on the same subject I'm finding the commercial film a lot more artistic and more sensitive than the independent film made, made um, of, of the same uh, subject. Uh, to give you a uh, classic example, is uh, last year, uh, Sri Devi starred in Mom, and uh, um, a, a, a great independent filmmaker called Devishish Makija made um, Aji. Both are rape revenge films, mm-hmm. uh, but I found Makija's film a lot more voyeuristic. And exploitative Mm -hmm. uh, than um, uh, than Mom, which is far more sensitive and restrained and subtle. So, going by conventional logic, the independent filmmaker needs to be the subtle guy, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the commercial guy filmmaker is the loud guy. But that's changed. The indie guy is now loud and the commercial guy is now more subtle. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, okay. So we went, we didn't even realize that the wall is broken and we're still trying to pander to some notion of what the festivals want. And the festivals are just trying to sell tickets and they're trying to go. they're all piggybacking, you know, yeah. the film festivals are just piggybacking on what sells. Um, and uh, these, these, these whole notion of images, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, with the stars, uh, like if it rides on stars, if commercial cinema st- rides on stars, um, uh, independent uh, or the festival cinema is riding on superstar directors. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, at to to a large extreme. So superstar directors have wildcard entry to most of the festivals, yeah. and most festivals are trying to program superstar directors uh, who are making really shitty films these days, yeah. as opposed to like young talent. You know, there are very few film film uh, uh, film festivals that are still left. Very few programmers who are still actually watching films by young filmmakers and. Luckily we've had the likes of Court and Titi coming out, but these are exceptions. Most of the the programming, if you look at film festivals, is still shit. Mm. They're all trying to sell tickets, they're still trying to get superstar directors, they're still trying to get superstar actors, um, and they're still taking the money of independent filmmakers. This is the worst possible thing you can do. Take the money from the poor and give it to the rich. There's something wrong with the way you guys are conducting film festivals
0: the so now that you know you've gone through all of this you've made these many movies how has the experience affected the writer in you cuz i mean when you're writing these things at the beginning like that first draft right mm-hmm. are you changing everything based on what you know the director and you will have to compromise on or have to work around on or as the writer you're you're writing exactly what you want to write and then the director can take over and figure out what has to be done
1: see uh
0: I've only written films which I can shoot
1: uh, with the resources that I've had. That, that's right. been a limiting factor for the first 18 years of my career. Mm-hmm. So only last September did I write the first script in my life. No, actually, um, the second script, the first one was again, work on hire for a, a producer who never paid, um, right. paid for it. So, uh, <laughs> so this this, uh, so this is just the second script I'm writing mm-hmm. uh, with like budget is not a constraint just write what you want kind of thing and it's it just gives me so much more freedom you know when I don't have to think about budget and I can just like I don't have to think about like how do I do it the whole film right. is shot on a train or the whole film is just two people talking on the phone or the whole film is just a girl in a camera yeah uh, like or the whole film is just a bunch of friends hanging out in a car, like without thinking about all this
0: mm-hmm.
1: thinking that okay, the story let's see where the story takes us. Let's go discover a different country, that kind right. of a thing right I do that now, and it's very liberating i am telling you um an artist definitely needs um, um money, yeah, <laughs> you know he needs yeah. resources. and an an artist needs his uh uh, needs stuff to paint he needs paint he needs uh the canvas uh yeah. and for, you know, and all these things cost money you just can't otherwise an artist is just going to be like drawing on paper or on the road or on the wall and there won't be enough takers for it
0: right yeah. so and this movie that you are that you started writing or you're writing is that also like something you're doing it for like for someone or you are thinking that one day you'll make it i mean that's the goal then i guess
1: Oh, so the the new film that I'm writing is for Love Ranjan. It's a story that was very close to his heart.
0: So the story oh, is by okay. Me.
1: right, okay. okay. Um, he he pitched it to me and he asked me would I, if I would be interested in writing it because he mm. really likes Hindi side there. Uh, yeah, uh, he he teamed up with me to release it. He's teamed up with me to release it, and he asked me, "Do you do you think this would interest you? Do you do you want to do you want to yeah. write this?" And I really liked the story, and I'm mm. like, okay, so far all the stories have been ones which I have wanted to tell. Yeah. Here's a story that belongs to somebody else, which I really like. And I think that I can add a lot of value to it uh, in terms of how we are going to tell the story.
0: Yeah. Um, so it
1: was a challenge and I found it a lot more liberating because I had complete objectivity on it because it's not my story. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to be uh, like, you know, um, uh, I I didn't have to, um, um, what is the word for it? I had a thick skin, like, Hmm. Like when you're writing your own story, at some level, you're putting a bit of yourself in there and like you treat those characters with kid gloves with a bit of empathy, more empathy than they, they deserve or whatever, right? Yeah. When it's somebody else's story, you can just be brutal about right. how you treat them because they have nothing to do with your life. As a screenwriter, <laughs> you can be as clinical and brutal as you want, and as merciless. And yeah. that freedom is also very liberating. Um, and um, I'm I'm loving this uh, new um, uh, freedom that I'm getting to take characters and be completely uninhibited about how I want to treat them because I'm not thinking about money resources or like personal feelings and motivations attached to them Mm -hmm. and I'm just taking it to the best that that story deserves in a way that it can be told to most people Um, and it's helping me because I'm going to take the science fiction from which I wrote five years ago which is highly inaccessible. And it's even online. It's called 8 Nay Dunya, And I put it up online asking people to make it if they want to because I don't think I'll ever be able to make it. Okay. I'm tempted to pull that script out now and say that if, if I were to do it for the masses, how would I do yeah. it? Yeah. Like, if, if somebody like Nolan was given this, what would he do? Like, is he still going to say, no, I'm going to be a pretentious, inaccessible filmmaker? Or he's yeah. going to say, cut this bullshit, man. We don't need to make it so hard. Like, let's simplify. Let's simplify and let's see how we can layer it up Because it's just architecture, right? Yeah, It's just how you're constructing the screenplay. Um, So, um, and and I think inaccessibility, if it's intentional, is a bit of a pretentious thing to do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so
1: I think I'm over that. I think, and it's taken me 18 years as a filmmaker to realize something as basic as this. Right. And I realized this, I'm not saying I made pretentious films. i would still made, uh, I'd like to believe that I still made films, which I believed in. Um, and uh, it's just that earlier I was just so single-mindedly obsessed about what I want to do without really caring for the feelings of mm-hmm. um, how other people would, uh, whether other people would be interested in yeah. watching. Like, Good Night, Good Morning, a lot of people tell me that if it was in color, a lot more people would have watched it. Black and white just puts people off. They don't even want to hit play on a black and white phone. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people also tell me that black and white just made it a lot, a lot more charming. So you never know. But right. um, I, I just happened to make it black and white only because I didn't have the resources. That's right. the truth. Like, so naturally, I would have made it in color and I would have still made it work.
0: And it's not like you're, you can give all of this information to the viewer before they press play because that's not the point. Yeah, you know, like yeah. they're supposed to experience it because that's how that because it's a story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the writer doesn't really get to put a huge disclaimer about how I wrote what conditions I wrote this in. And then the director yeah. gets to talk about his conditions.
1: DVD commentaries, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but, you know, even even DVD commentaries, they can only listen to them if they already like the movie. Yeah, how many so, people would uh, listen to it?
1: You're right. You're right. So with Good Night, Good Morning, I actually recorded a DVD commentary for the first time in my life because we got really good reviews, and I was like, okay. So and when the Enlightened, the label which was promoting really like, they were releasing H- Hitchcock films and like, and their other the, the other films in their catalog are like classics. Okay, really mm. uh, wilder films. They I think they were releasing Double Indemnity and like Hitchcock, wow. and they and they asking me if uh, they uh they, they they wanted to acquire my film. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Just to be in the company of those films? And so they said, can you also do a director's commentary? I'm like, oh, I would
0: love that to. That sounds like awesome.
1: <laughs> I sat and did a director's commentary. And um, th- there are still DVDs um, around. And I, I ordered three myself because I, I lo- I've, I'm i exhausted with all my copies. So it's so cool <laughs> to have a copy of your film with a director's commentary because... DVDs are dying, man. Like yeah, Netflix exactly. doesn't have
0: commentaries. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I think the whole art of commentaries. I, I and I've learned so much from commentaries. Yeah, you know, uh, my favorite commentaries uh, are from True Romance. Uh, in fact, my latest purchase is a True Romance Blu-ray because it's got all three commentaries. It's got commentaries by the two actors, uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Um, it's got commentaries by uh, one commentary just with Tony Scott and one commentary just with Quentin Tarantino uh, wow. because Quentin Tarantino did not approve of Tony Scott's uh, yeah I remember he was not a fan yeah so to actually listen to Tarantino talking throughout the film about every
0: particular scene is just incredible I would, I'm def I mean I'm definitely gonna get it now I I was a huge fan of commentaries too like I used to collect Blu-rays and DVDs just for Making mm-hmm. sure I can listen to that stuff because mm-hmm. it tells you so much about what went behind the scene that you you know were curious about. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So this is like uh, we're we're already past time. So I want to I don't want to take too much more time. The thing that I usually end these on okay. is uh, I like to ask the guests if if because uh, I I think I told you right the my audience is pretty young. They're thirteen to thirty usually okay and and the whole purpose of the podcast is to have a new a new and a different kind of storyteller every week to talk about how they do what they do and why they do it, where they find all of that inspiration okay. so the thing I like to end on is that if there was um a fifteen sixteen year old version of you listening to this uh what kind of you know what kind of message or advice or some honest you know uh real talk would you like to give them?
1: I would just tell uh, the 16-year-old me or 15-year-old me um, not to wait Mm. Uh, uh, because times have changed, Um, you know, um, times have changed. We don't have to wait anymore to wait for people to produce our films. If you have an iPhone or if your friend has an iPhone, you can just go make your first movie. And it doesn't have to be 80 minutes long. It could be 90 seconds long. It could be an Instagram story for all you know, and it could be watched by more people than you never know, you know? Yeah youtube story and but if you're a storyteller you shouldn't let the medium bother you at all or technology bother you at all you should be just thinking about what's the best way to tell the story yeah. I, have a, I have a thing let me just go tell the story don't wait if you have a story go tell it the, the second bit of advice i want to tell him is that you know live a life it's so important to live a rich life and i'm saying a rich life i don't mean a life where you're spending money mm-hmm. uh, but um, a full life
0: but That's
1: going to give you as many varied experiences as you can collect. Mm -hmm. You have to be a connoisseur of experiences to be able to be a rich enough storyteller. Uh, I'm sure like every single heartbreak, uh, letdown and disappointment and mistake I've made in life is what has led me to be a better person and a richer person and a wiser person and a smarter person. So... Unless, so get out of your protected existence and go live real life. I'm not asking you guys to do drugs. You can always try them out at a later stage in your life. But uh, (laughs) the time for everything. But um, whatever varied experiences that you can have without getting into trouble, without causing harm to other people, Mm -hmm. I think you should go and, or or to other people or to yourself, I think you should just go out and live that life so that unless you live a life, you will not be able to tell a story. Yeah it's as simple as that you need the the raw the biggest raw material for life uh, for movies is life itself